absolutely super, 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 Janet Lee. Wow, those are those are songs I remember so well, and you sure do spirit play them. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Here we are, and we are ready to really get into some deep waters today. So, <clears throat> you might need to roll up your trousers. You might need to um, <laughs> prepare for this water is going to get ankle deep, then knee deep, then hip deep, and then it'll be where you need to swim in it. Praise God. <clears throat> All right. So, here we go. Today is November the 3rd, Sunday. Analog with angels, I believe we're in part 18, and it's the subject, for one thing, of the indelible view of the number of the beast, 666. Every word of this teaching today, as it has been with the last several teachings, as God had given the word to do this, will be imbued by of every word. And the subject for healing today is for the circulation problems that people have in their bodies and this word to imbue them so that they receive healing and a free flow of their circulation. So today, we want to break the knowledge barrier, the barrier that is the middle wall partition that blocks the mind from being able to get into the deep things of God. We just ask God to open your minds today for this incredible word of God. We were talking last week about the revelation that in compasses so many, many different insights, oracles, and attributes, which are all written out in a special symbolic kind of way and called the patterns, the patterns on the mount. And I went through this a little bit last week, but it, it is so important the, because it is the foundation basis. Exodus 25.9 talks about that there was a pattern of the tabernacle. And to be sure that this tabernacle was made according to the pattern showed you in the mount or on the mount. And even in Numbers 8.4, it talks about the candlesticks that are to be made. And they are to be made according to the pattern in the mount. We know that later there are revelations of the book of Revelations, like Revelations one nineteen, that talks about the seven stars and the seven candlesticks. And you can be sure that the patterns that were given in the mount is described in Numbers 8 verses, verse 4 and are the patterns in the mount 
are part of the revelation about the seven stars and the seven candlesticks. So every aspect of how the weight of these holy items and sacred items are and how that they are covered with gold and to the extent of that is all about a pattern and a revelation and it's all to be symbolically understood at first but then by interpretation to be understood by the spirit and we talked about how in first chronicles 28 11 through 12 david says that all the patterns that he received he received by the spirit so that we know that these patterns are something that has longevity they have something to do with the long, long time of the Spirit in this revealing to humankind through the generations. And when we look at, at the depth of this, it has a spiritual sweet smell to it that lures us into the pomegranate revelation. Hebrews 8.5 talks about the pattern showed thee in the mount and how that there were physical things that were symbolic as a symbolic example of the heavenly things. And we talked last week about Psalms 68.17 the Patterns in the Mount that discuss the the 20,000 angels and the 20,000 um, zith that were flying over, over Mount Sinai. And the the revelation was, was enfolded in there about Merkabah, M-E-R-K-A-B-A, which is the white horse chariot of Yah. We remember on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus took a select number up there. And there was appearance, and the appearance that was chosen to be given on that mount was of the appearance of Elijah, who was taken up in a fiery chariot, and the appearance of Moses, who was the one that had all this experience on the, on the mount. Of the 20,000 angels and the 20,000 zits, on Mount Sinai. And we know that the revelation about the stars, of the one-third of stars that was cast by the dragon's tail to the earth, as described in Revelations 12, was preceded by a very important foundation message as to how this all ties into the pattern on the mount. 
Because in Revelations 4.1, the angel speaks to John and says, Come up hither, which is obviously come up to the mountain, or mount up, and I will show you the things which must be hereafter. We cannot look at this revelation of the patterns on the mount as simplistic because we know that in the end of the durations of the successions of times, there is pictured the lamb with Moses. Moses and Yas standing together on the crystal glass sea and singing the songs, obviously both connecting the Old Testament revelation and the New Testament revelation that were basically one revelation but followed a graduation through the 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-folds over the course of time and event. So we will not take it lightly. We consider it important. Now, there are um, 10, 11, 12 things that I want to get totally across to you before I can close this analog with angels. And I'll name them off fairly fast. The Christ Hour, which today I'm going to show this to you, the conversion math for one hour from 1,000 years to one day, to the voice of God from transpositional locations, as in from sky to earth, and I'll be talking on that today, giving you scripture. In fact, we'll be reading that pretty soon. And three, the number of the beast as it precedes knowing the number of, the man, of man and its connection to the one-third of the stars representing 666 billion angels, ovenims, who refuse to take mortal bodies. And four, the term number of man modified by the term or by the number of the beast so that the term man becomes a singular plural rather than just a singular expression. And five, <coughs> the revelation of the flying scroll or roll, the whirlwind and the fire, the revelation of the of the various crafts and so forth six the revelation of the cosmocrator from Ephesians 6:12 for the word ruler and the importance of that incredible revelation be in the body that Lucifer Satan will eventually take 
that is a laminated human body, especially made so that he can take a body and not lose his memory. And then the story of the great Astrodon star from which the, the planet Earth, the sun, the moon, and other parts of this solar system were made from. And the, and the seven spirits of God, the white throne judges from different universes involved in, the, in this universe and more of that story. And nine, the white horse ministry, the Merkabah, described in Ezekiel 1, 26 through 28, and described by Moses in Exodus 24, 10, and described by Ezekiel um, in 1, 4, 26 through 26. I've already said that one. And then he rideth upon the heaven of the heavens in Psalm 68:33, And the story of the Jerusalem planetome using Dromatron energy. And how that black is a divine term for dark energy, but it's in a form like when the Bible talks about the noise of the thunder. It's not saying what that noise was, was about, what the interpretation of that noise was, that because that is noise to people that cannot understand uh, the deep meaning of, of the message. And so... That will be revealed if we can get to it. Then the number 10, the thread of blue that's on the ephod and that's on the, the prayer shawl. And 11, the, the wisdom revelation. And 12, the fringe message. Those are all things We'd hope to get to. We'll do the best that we can. We've talked at different times over the last couple um, broadcasts about the rib band. And it's spelled R-I-B-B-A-N-D. And sometimes interpreted as ribbon. But there was a whole lot more to the meaning of that spelling than can be uh, imagined. It had 39 windings. And the Jews say what it meant is that the Lord is one. It was a plural one. And so we see the connection of the Old Testament of the fringe We see the connection of the knots and, and this thread of blue twine that winds itself 39 times about the bound lace. 
So when we are looking at numbers like this, we are not looking at gematria, which is trying to figure out something by the value of the Hebrew or, or Greek number and what that number is and that letter and trying to say, well, then this is the the name or the letter or the title that equals that certain amount based on geometria or a similar type of thing in, in the Greek. We are actually using a real counting to get to the number 666, which we will show you. Now, we see the connection of the of the prayer shawl, the ephod, with their hymns, um, uh, H-E-M, hymn, which is called Fringe. And in the New Testament, uh, we have the fringe that Jesus wore, that the woman who was very sick touched the hem of his garment and was healed. And we see that there are just all kinds of connections then to this word ribbon to meaning a lot of different things. We mentioned this word Merkabah. You need to really study Ezekiel 1, 4 through 26 where Ezekiel sees Yah on the throne of glory. You need to study Exodus 24, 10 through 12, where Moses and 70 of the elders saw this paved work, transparent work, with Yah on the chariot seat up in the heaven. There's other scriptures that I've given you before that are relative to this whole insight. Psalms 18.5, Isaiah 19.1, Habakkuk 3.8 that you need to really get into and to study so that you're going to be able to better understand this message because it is not a message that you will find on the internet unless someone else is copying or is repeating the teachings that I've done. And I'm not knocking anyone for doing that. I'm just saying that quite a few people have done that. Some will say, well, how do you know they've done that? Because there are manifest words that do not even exist in the dictionary that were received through the manifest revelation that I have used those words, and those words are being used on several other networks, and they could only have come then from that revelation of the manifest um, doctrine. So, we thank God for the word getting out. We thank God for people beginning to now hear this message of the White Horse Ministry and understand that the, that the literal white horse was just a pattern of the heavenly. 
And the heavenly white horse is not a literal earthly flesh and blood horse that's got wings and is going up in the sky, but it's like the horses that describes in the fiery chariot, the chariot of fire and the horsemen thereof that took Elijah far, far away. So there is a heavenly, heavenly charioteer, Merkabah, the prince rider, the Yah, who sits in this throne called the pilot hold and moves through the skies at streak speed. It's awesome. It's exciting. Now, I read this to you before, but it, it you know, but I need to read it again. The pomegranate that is put on the fringe of the holy garments. Therefore, since the fringe relates to space, as we have shown you in various teachings, the pomegranates and the bells which are put on the fringe, therefore also relate to space. And the pomegranate represents the seed of life that is to be carried unto space to new worlds. And the bells relate in the order on the holy garment as a bell, then a pomegranate, a bell, then a pomegranate. And we showed you how that these bells actually have become so advanced, like there's a, a, a place in Australia, a company, who have been able to tone them in uh, by using uh, special new methods and, and uh, uh, special kinds of, uh, you know, um, uh, me, uh, minerals that they made the uh, material out of to actually get uh, a humus, which is a, a human voice sound. And we've showed the connection how that these bells, when the the angel of of God was walking through the the garden, that this voice of the of God was speaking out on these with these with these bells, and um, uh, I don't have time to go all through that again because I have an awful lot. To, uh, to cover. Blessed be the name of God. Okay. So let's, um, let's just keep uh, moving on. Uh, we know that, that the, um, the human person relates to the pomegranate. In uh, Canticles 6-7, it talks about thy temples, there being a piece of pomegranate. And we know that, that Ezekiel was taken up by a lock of hair, and when you look at the translation of that word, it's the, uh, the zithzit, or zitzit, as I said. And, uh, but, you know, there's the manifest pronunciation, and there is the Hebrew transliterated into English uh, uh, pronunciation. So in English, they, from the Hebrew, it's usually uh, Z-E-E-T-Z-E-E-T, -E -E or some might even go S-E-E-T, but it's Z-E-E-T, so Z-Z-Z-Z. 
because the I is pronounced as, as a couple E's. But um, we pronounce it uh, different than that based on manifest uh, interpretation. So the pomegranates represent the seed of life that is to be carried into space. And, and it's very interesting that the pomegranates with their sort of rough surface is very much like what a planet would look like. And, uh, and the reason uh, planets are round like a pomegranate is round is because of gravity. And gravity exerts its, its um, force on the interior of the planet. Uh, and that force then has, a, has an effect uh, through the uh, transfer of electromagnetic energy of curving the outside of the total aspect of this, this blob of matter until it finally by that energy and by the spinning becomes rounded or, or spherical. Things don't happen just by accident. There's a reason. Now, people say, what kind of, uh, of craft are there up in the skies? And um, we get a lot of you know, questions about that. And we've read this to you before, but the, the, ser the seraphim described in the Bibles with six wings, they have spacecraft that they're flying. They have been flying it for generations. The cherubim described in the Bibles having four wings, they have, they have spacecraft that's been going on for generations. And the ophanim described as having two wings, but who are now the failed messengers or fallen angels, not the fallen devils, because there are also the fallen devil angels, which is a different group. And some of these Ophanim are the offspring of Enoch, who are living at the father's house called Artura, and they also have craft that was formerly copied from Ophanim craft that they discovered on, on, at the father's house, hidden in a, a cave. And, uh, and they are flying up there. And there, there's scripture for all this, and I've given it in the past. And that's not counting the craft of, of Lucifer Satan, like the Zams. And there's the 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 zith, which is we call it the zith, and uh, and there are the the, the zuts, z u u t s, and then the force of darkness have the the zams, and uh, and we've given you Bible for 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 all of those. We can't just keep repeating it. But one interesting thing about this thing with the seraphim, the cherubim is they are in proxy of the Ophanims. The Ophanims fell, so the cherubim and the seraphim are flying their mission in proxy for the Ophanim. And it's mostly the cherubim that are on that mission, but occasionally the seraphim are. And there's scripture showing all of that. And it's interesting that beneath the wings of the cherubim and the seraphim are the hands of a man.
So there's a cooperation there showing that the the hands of the mortal, you see, is under the covering of the wings of the cherubim and the seraphim who are, sta- who are standing and flying in proxy for them. And that's why the four kinds of animals that are represented represent the four kinds of humans that they are standing in proxy of, of whom the Ophidims have now become. And we see that um, in Revelations that these four beasts come and bow down uh, before Christ and, uh, and give praise to God for redeeming them so that these beasts are the humans. Then this is an incredible thing. The ephod spelled sometimes two ways in the Bible, E-P-H-O-D or E-P-H-A-D. And in Exodus 28:31, you know, it, it tells about the ephod, verse 31. Thou shalt make the robe of the ephod of blue. Thou shalt, thou, there shall be a hole in the top of it. In the midst of it shall have a binding of woven work around about the whole of it. And that binding that's put around it is later described as a crown. 33, and beneath and upon the hem of it, thou shalt make pomegranates of blue, of purple, and of scarlet around about the hem thereof, and the bells of gold between them around about. 34, a golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate upon the hem of the robe around about. 35, and it shall be upon uh, Aaron to minister, uh, and his sound shall be heard when he goes forth. There's a whole lot more to that sound than just the tinkling of a bell. And it's very important that this sound is being said, because if it isn't being said, when he goes before the Lord or comes out, he could die. So this has to be happening, and it's got something to do with life. Now we know that in the forecasted time of the future, in Zechariah 14.20, it says, And in that day there shall be upon, upon um, the horses bells, So we see the connection with horses and bells and pomegranates. Second Kings 2.11 says, And it came to pass as they still went on and talked that behold there appeared a chariot of fire and the horses of fire parted them. It's talking about Elijah. Some people say that these cherubims are just sort of like plaques or you know, are there they're sort of, you know, like the seraphims, uh, more like uh, sort of an animal thing. But Ezekiel 10.20 says, And I knew the creatures were cherubim. And when you really read the work of the cherubim and the work of the seraphim, you know it's talking about angels and not talking about some 
fantasy, cre imaginative creation of of uh, uh, something more like a serpent or or uh, a devil. So the Lord of Hosts is the Lord of Hosts, and a host is, you know, like. A host of the Ophanims, a host of the Cherubims, a host of the host of the Seraphims, and uh, and some of these things are revealed uh, in the in the Revelation of the Mount uh, when we look at um, the network of the lattice that was done in some of the different things in which they were forming uh, uh, special designs for for the. Um, uh, the house of God, and um, it is it's just so important. But while we're on this thing of the, uh, and and before we get away from this revelation of the ephod, let us turn to this amazing scripture in the book of Zechariah, chapter five of Zechariah. Now this is amazing, people. This is amazing. If you've ever had any doubt, as I've been doing these teachings, that these, that these fringes and that these robes and these shahs had anything to do with flying, this ought to do something for you. Zechariah 5. Then I turned and lifted up mine eyes and looked, and behold, a flying roll. Now, a roll can be many things. So we have to be careful not to jump to a conclusion because, you know, a roll can be a scroll, can even be a holograph. But it is described also as a whirlwind. A whirl goes, moves around in a circle and then moves forward as it is revolving. And in Ezekiel chapter 1, it talks about Ezekiel seeing a great cloud and an enfolding fire. This enfolding fire, when you look at its Hebrew Meaning, in 3947 and 3948, it means mental instruction. Now, you will remember, will remember some of you, when I was telling how that some of these people that are having experiences with the, with the, with the Zams, that they are receiving messages from space. The, the Zams are not allowed to land on, on Earth at this time. They're limited into space, but they can send their diabolical messages. They can pinpoint people and send their messages into the brains of people. And if people have not, you know, cleaned their house, if they have not done the right things, they can become susceptible to that so that they end up with false memories. And someone says, yeah, but that's not in the Bible. Well, yes, it is. I'm, and that's what we're reading right now. So let's get to it here in 
in Zechariah because there is both the curse and there is both the blessing. And this is one of the things that Moses taught the children when he had them march between two mountains. And one was blessing and the other was curse. There can't be the blessing without the curse. There can't be the curse without the blessing. That is the negative, the positive. It's all part, it's all part of the plan. I turned my eyes and lifted up. This is Zechariah 5. And he said unto me, What seest thou? And I answered, I see a flying roll. I see a, I see a, a whirlwind. And it's rolling around and around and moving forward. And the length thereof is 20 cubits, and the breadth thereof is 10 cubits. If we put this into, you know, a, an odd kind of math, and multiply 10 times 20 cubits to sort of get a, a cubical square, so to speak, we end up with, the, with a 200. And then that gives you a, a 100 for the 20 cubits and a 100 for the 10 cubits. So this thing that is happening is operating in the hundredfold category. Then said he unto me, this is the curse that goeth forth over the face of the whole earth. For everyone that stealeth shall be cut off as on this side according to it, and everyone that sweareth shall be cut off as on that side according to it. And I will bring it forth, saith the Lord of hosts, and it shall enter into the house of the thief, and into the house of him that sweareth falsely. This, this incredible role, this scroll, this law of God, which is a blessing to those who receive it in the right way, but a curse to those who do not receive it in the right way. Like when Pharaoh's army was coming against uh, the children of Israel as they were waiting at the Red Sea. And the angels overhead were doing a great work. To the army of Pharaoh and the Pharaoh, it looked like darkness and darkness that they couldn't see where to go through. But to the children of Israel, it looked like, like a sign from God. And, a, and it was a beautiful thing. So to one side it was a curse, to the other side it was a blessing. And that's what you have here. And notice that it enters right into the house, right into your house where you live. This, this flying roll that's up in the sky, this, what, what Ezekiel saw, called a whirlwind with enfolding fire, which means in the Hebrew 3947 of Strong's Concordance and 3948, mental instruction can be both negative or positive. It says it, ladies and gentlemen. This, I've, I've been teaching you this. This is the first time I led you to this scripture. It's in the Bible. It's in the book. You need to see it. Then the angel that talked with me went forth and said unto me, Lift up now thine eyes and see what, is, what it is that goes forth. And I said, what is it? And he said, this is an ephod that goeth forth. Now, we're going to stop there. But here we see that connected with this flying scroll, this roll, this whirlwind, this craft, is the ephod. The ephod, which is the priest robe with the fringes 
that have the message about the Sith, the craft of God. It's exciting. Janet at the organ.
Again, thank you so much, Janet Lee. Just super, super, super. And here we are back, everybody. And now we're we're in uh, the book of uh, Zechariah, chapter 5, and uh, verse 5. Then the angel that talked with me went forth and said unto me, Lift up down thy eyes, lift them up, look up, and see what it is this that goes forth from way up there in the sky. And he says, well, uh, there's an ephod. An ephod's going up in the sky. <laughs> well, the, the revelation of it, the, the, what the fringes represent of the ephod, what the whole meaning of the ephod is about, what, what the, the deep word from God of the patterns in the mount is about, is being said right here. See? And so, so moreover, um, uh, it goes forth. This is its resemblance throughout all the earth. Uh, verse 7, And there was lifted up a talent of lead. This is a woman that sitteth in the midst of the ephod. And he said, This is wickedness. And he cast it into the, the midst of the ephod, and he cast the weight of lead upon the mouth thereof. Now, we see that there is an evil side to this. And then it goes on, verse 9, Then lifted up mine eyes and looked, and behold, there came out two women, and the, and the wind was in their wings, for they had the, the wings like the wings of a stork, and they were lifted up, uh, and they lifted up the ephod between the earth and the heaven. Now, the wings, of course, you know, whether you're using eagle or whether you're using stork, they all have a meaning. You know, the stork represents, you know, uh, bringing forth the word to multiply, uh, you know, uh, soul entities. Uh, and and uh, there, there's, there's a message there. Uh, other 
a verse that we're all familiar with, you know, is uh, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount, mount up with wings as eagles. Um, those things are all symbolic of stories like we're talking about right now. Uh, and he said um, of these two women that have these uh, uh, wings of a stork, uh, verse 10, and the angel talked with me, whether do, do these bear the ephod? And he said unto me to build it a house in the land of Sinar. It shall be established and set there upon her own base. Now that, that uh, uh, work that was done in Sinar uh, lasted for uh, 300 years, and it was approximately uh, 20 miles from from Israel, and uh, it would have went on and on and on. But Eli, the priest, who had two sons, who who were just this, they were very not very holy, and uh, and uh, they let the the light of of the of the holy temple go out, the the eternal fire go out. Uh, they took the um, the ark of the covenant out to fight uh, against the the Philistines. Uh, they were not. The proper people to be in charge of it. Uh, they they lost thirty thousand uh, Israelites, and the uh, the Philistines took over, uh, and 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 uh, uh, basically destroyed uh, you know that whole uh, spiritual place in, in Sinar that uh, had been going on. Uh, it's called Shiloh. So anyway, um, let's um, get that down in your brain. And don't lose it. Don't forget about, you know, there's the queen of darkness. There's the queen of light. And this story is told in here. It's, this is what this is all about. These, the, the, the negative, the positive. The positive, the negative. You know, the good side, the bad side. The darkness side, the light side. It's, the story is all there. And so here is a revelation from the Bible that when I was teaching this about how that there were several places in, in, in the book uh, of the Bible uh, where God spoke from the sky to Moses, God spoke from the sky to Ezekiel, God spoke from the sky to John, uh, and on and on and on, uh, and to Abraham, uh, to Adam. Uh, many things like this are recorded in the Bible where they are hearing this voice from up in the sky. Because this this capability of the angels to send their message right down to them wherever they are on earth is recorded in several places in the Bible. And it's real. And there's both the good aspect of that and the bad aspect. Okay, we've got to keep rolling. But that is so very, very interesting. Okay, so now... Uh, that gives us a special look at the ephod, and so you can say, hey, this isn't just funny stuff. This is Bible. It's right there. It's just, the scroll is part of this revelation <coughs> of the ephod, which is a flying thing. And, and from this flying craft, the entities in it, in the pilot hold called the throne, the White Horse Ministry, they can send out messages from way up in the sky in, in, in heavens far away. They can, it's even greater than in telepathic messages. They can send these messages. It's an awesome, awesome, incredible, incredible thing. Okay, 
So um, it's exciting, and we just don't we just don't want to lose, you know, any of the of the meaning of that because it it, it has ap- application that's just not going to go away. It's just so very 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 important. So praise be the name of God. Okay, now um, let's um, let's move on. Uh, I talked about in that introduction of the. 12 uh, subjects we want to get into about time. And uh, there is a scripture. Uh, and in fact, there's a, 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 uh, it's about three times it's uh, written in the Bible. Uh, and, but it is also written in Second Peter 3, 8, um, uh, which is a part of those three times. And it says, Be not ignorant of this one thing. <coughs> now, I'll tell you what. I don't think a person should take that lightly. This Peter, you know, he, he had a really top position, as I've taught in the past. He was a really great man of God. <coughs> Excuse me. He was chosen, you know, uh, to, 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 to have, a, a, you know, different important positions with God. And um, he said, be not ignorant of this one thing. He he made a really important point out of that. And it's, it's not to be taken lightly because um, if you're ignorant of it, then you are really not being obedient to this word. And, and you know, you might say, but, you know, how, how, how? I can't help it if I can't understand. Well, when you get the chance to understand, when you get the opportunity and the portal is open and you have the opportunity to hear the word of God, and, and this word of God uh, is is given to you in such a way that uh, you can uh, have an insight. Then that's that's the time to fulfill the word of God, where it says, "Be not ignorant of this one thing." And what is that? What was that? That one day is with the Lord a thousand years. So what that means that one day of the Lord is equivalent to a thousand years of a mortal. And a thousand years as one day, meaning, and it takes a thousand years of a mortal time to equal one day of God time, which is 24 hours. So, you know, and in Deuteronomy Deuteronomy 32.7, the days of old, the years of the many generations, we see where days equal generations. And we'll be, if we have time, <coughs> getting into that uh, when we start talking about, uh, like Genesis 2-4, when it's talking about the days of creation, these are the generations in the day that God created the heavens and the earth. And uh, all those other scriptures uh, that go along with it and, and, and the fact that this is a, a star time uh, message of the generations that speaks of uh, of of that in Genesis one fourteen, and uh, and then uh, in Genesis fifteen one through five, uh, it talks about uh, to Abraham his seed being as the stars of heaven for number. Uh, <laughs> it's important to understand these numbers. It says it is. It said don't be ignorant of these things. You know, we know that when we're trying to understand some of the things where it gets into the times, and you know what. What is this past or is this present or is this future? Well, that in the Hebrew, you know, uh, the only way you can tell the time 
uh, is by the context. And without that, you can't really tell if it's, if it's past tense or present tense or future tense. So all those things are so important to collectively have together. Now let's just look at this revelation here we're going to share with you today called Time, a Christ Hour. Okay, And um, there uh, is a, a scripture that uh, we uh, refer to. Let's look at, uh, let's look at uh, Revelations 8. And uh, 8, uh, verse 1. And just read that as we are getting this started. Okay. Revelations 8, 1. And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was a silence in heaven about the space of a half hour. Now, even with some of the most sacred things that are going on, we got things about hours. We got things about half an hour. We got things about days. Uh, so, you know... God just doesn't mean for us to look at this and not understand it. Uh, he says, don't be ignorant of this one thing. This, this revelation about a thousand to one is a ratio that is very, very important. So let's look at this. Okay, let's take, and we'll call the one day, um, you know, we'll call that um, a God day. Because a God day is worth a thousand years of human time. So we say one Christ day is worth a thousand years of human time. Now, we know that a day is also a 24-hour period. So instead of saying one God day, we'll just say one Christ 24-hour period. And that is the same as e equaling one day. So now we got one Christ 24-hour period, 1,000 uh, equal to 1,000 years of human time. Now, if we want to and I'm doing this in simple math for the sake of you people that, you know, if I was using uh, my, my quotum, uh, you know, math, uh, it, it would, might be over some of your heads and a little hard to follow. So I'm, I'm going to just do this very simple. So we've got a, a, a day equaling a thousand years. 24 hours is equal to a day, so that that is the same. So a, a Christ day, a God day uh, of 24 hours equals uh, a thousand years. Now, if we cut down that thousand years in half to 500 years, then we would also then cut down the the hours of the day from 24 hours to 12 hours. So uh, so a half of a day. A 12-hour period would then equal 500 years of human time. Now, if we cut down that 500 in half, that would cut the 12-hour period down to a 6-hour period, which would be one half of the 500, and it would be 250. So now we have, you know, a 6-hour period representing 250 years of human time. Okay, now if we take it down a little further and we cut the six hours in half and the 250 in half, we end up with three hours instead of six hours and we end up with 125 instead of 250. So now we've got three hours equals 125 years of human time. Now, if we were to take that 125 years, divide it by three, so that we could put that into three hours, and
and instead of having the three hours as just a lump number. So we divide the 125 years by three, and each year, now this is amazing, each year the number that comes out for the hour is 41,000 years, 666 months, 666 weeks, and 67 days. So one hour, one God hour represents 41 years, 666 months, 666 weeks. So that ends up that ends up giving you about 43 years and a little over that one hour represents. And that's how you can get it, very simple, the way that I've showed you. Therefore, again, one Christ God hour equals 41,000 years plus 666 months and 666 weeks. And if you, and if you turn those into years, you're going to end up getting, you know, about closer to like 43 years and 67 days. Then if you take and you, and you add that, all those numbers uh, as the value of the number, because you got 41, 666, 666, 67. So if you go 4 plus 1 plus 6 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 plus 7, it equals 54. Then if you take the 5 plus the 4, it equals 9. Now, we've got something very important in that 9. There's many, many things I could get into, but I don't have the time today. But for sure, we know there's 9 gifts of the Holy Spirit given to humankind. And that's using what I call quote M math. That's Q-U-O-T-E, capital A, capital M, hyphen, math, M-A-T-H. Now let's go on with this. We've got in Revelations 17, 12, 10 horns, which represent 10 kings who are to receive power as kings one hour with the beast. What does that one hour represent? 60 seconds? No. That one hour that it's talking about is, hang on, 41 years, 666 months, 666 weeks, and 67 days. That's what it represents. If you put this on an adding machine, it'll probably knock off the 67 days, and it'll just be 41 plus 666, plus 666, a double 666. Why? Well, it's in the Bible. Because you have both the mark of the beast and the mark, you have the, the mark of the beast or the number of the beast and the number of the man. So the number of the beast, 666, the number of the man, 666. You've got a double 666. And we'll see to that as we get on into this. So when we talk about these ten kings having an hour, we're talking about, based on the breakdown of this ratio 
of the Christ day to the thousand years of human time and breaking that on down until it gets to an hour, we're talking about those king, each king having something like uh, 41 to 43 uh, uh, years that, that, that he will have power uh, uh, as a king with the beast. And we note that there is within the, the, the number the total uh, uh, of the, the utter doubling of the 666, which is involved in the, in the, the meaning of that one hour. So now, um, if we take those, those ten horns, which are ten kings, which each have one hour, and we multiply that ten times 41, 666, 666, 67, we end up roughly with 412 years, which is the combined time that those, those ten kings will be empowered on earth according to earth time in its relationship of God's spoken word and God's revelation versus human time. There's 412 years that those kings are going to be operating. So there are all these different things about, um, in Revelations 3.1, it talks about the hour of temptation, which is basically the same as the time of the tribulator, or some people call it the great tribulation. And in John 5, um, and that, that I gave you the scripture, I hope, uh, Revelations 3.10, and uh, and John five twenty four, uh, I beg your pardon. John five twenty five through twenty eight, uh, Jesus said, "The hour cometh that all who are in their graves shall hear my voice." Now he's talking about a particular hour at the end of time. And as we begin to apply all of these meanings, and we begin to looking into how that. A thousand generations ends up equal, equaling, um, you know, seventy to eighty thousand years uh, of of a life uh, span, and and it isn't a minor thing, because it says that in Psalms one hundred five eight through ten, in Deuteronomy seven through nine, and in First Chronicles sixteen through fifteen. Or 16, pardon me, 15. First Chronicles chapter 16, 15. Here are three important scriptures in the Bible. And then in Galatians 3, 16 through 19, it says that that covenant that was made, of which those three scriptures I gave you, uh, uh, you know, convincingly are evidence, cannot be, cannot be canceled. And in Psalms 22.30, it gives further evidence by saying that God's seed will be counted a generation. Not all seed are counted a generation. But when we start talking about God's time, we start getting into special uh, uh, number meanings that are relevant, very relevant according to the Bible, according to the message of the Bible. And then, here is an incredible, positive scripture I've never given to you before. I just haven't had time. I told you how that 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 Adam 
in the book of Luke 3.38, it says that Adam is the son of God. Luke 3.38. So when we take Adam, whether you want to say he symbolically represents the son of God or, or he was... His, the spirit of the Son of God uh, breathed into him and gave him soul life. Uh, you go ahead and do the thing that, that you feel convenient and comfortable with. But nevertheless, the Son of God is, is figurated, configurated in Adam. And we said that Adam lived 930 years. And he was 70 years short of living a thousand years because he took on Eve's sin by eating of the apple of which it was said in the day you eat of that apple you will die you will not live that whole day that whole day was not a 24-hour day that day it was talking about was the one day that's equal to a thousand years so that was a thousand years and he died before the in that day, 70 years short. Since that time, all humankind has had the, the given timetable that it speaks of in Psalms 90 and gives the 70 to 80 year lifespan of generations. And then here's the verse that I've never given you before. In Psalms 102.24, it says, Thy years, meaning thy for Christ, Christ's years are throughout all generations. Now, how are his years throughout all generations? Because, as I have said, all human beings are basically given the rendering of being able to, to live the unlived 70 years that Adam did not live, which was figurative of Christ. We see that in the book of Romans. And so that all, all humankind, Christ's years are throughout all generations. All the generations of the humans that live on the earth, they are living out that time, whether they do it in one uh, uh, life or in another uh, combined regeneration, they are living out those 70 years. Not all aspects of every day of their life and year of their life is accounted uh, as to uh, the uh, special years that apply for becoming the, the, the seed that's accepted in uh, the godly generation. But what an incredible biblical-backed revelation now that you have. What an awesome thing, ladies and gentlemen, that you have to use here. How absolutely exciting and beautiful that is. Now, let's look at something that has been missed, that is so important. Turn with me to the book of Revelations and turn to the 14th chapter And I want to read you something here that is so important. Chapter 14, uh, pardon me, chapter 13, big pardon, chapter 13, 
verse 18. Revelations chapter 13, verse 18. Here is wisdom. Here is wisdom. Now, we're going to discover in that particular thing that, it, that of Scripture that it gives there is far more important than the average human being has ever, ever begun to understand. Far, far, far more important. And I'm going to show you some scriptures. I'm going to show you some important scriptures. In this 13th chapter, verse 18, here is wisdom. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast. That is not what people are doing. And because they're not doing that, they are not getting it right. And last week I talked with you about how that some of the actual words that have to do with, with the counting of the number means that you have to, you have to reconcile there's certain reconciliations you have to do in order to really get the number right. It isn't just an application of the number alone. There are other aspects that have to uh, correlate with the number for it to be right. And here's one of them right here. And here's what it says. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast. You have to count the number of the beast before you count the number of, of the man. It says it. Count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. You can't know what the number of the man is. It's even in the wrong tense and can only be understood because... That tense that it gives for, for a man is modified by understanding what it means to count the number of the beast. So without counting the number of the beast, you cannot understand the number of the man. So the 666 is not applied, not understood, not a revelation to millions of people out there because they have not listened to what the Bible says. And so the Bible says, here is wisdom. Here is wisdom. Well, that's almost like a repeat of chapter 17, verse 9. And here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. Now, I want you to get that. And this is all about verse 12, and the ten horns which thou sawest are ten, ten kings which have received no kingdom as yet, but received power as kings for one hour with the beast. Verse 14, they shall make war with the Lamb. Wow. The ten horns, verse 16, which you saw upon the beast shall hate the whore and shall make her desolate. 
Now, all of this business about the beast, here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast. Then we come to, uh, here is the mind that hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. Oh, wait a minute here. Wait a minute here. There is something happening that I think is just absolutely amazing. Just absolutely amazing. And we're going to get into it. We're going to share it. Because it's a revelation of revelations. Blessed be the name of God. Blessed be the name of God. Okay. I hope you're ready. I hope you're ready to, to see this message that God wants you to know. And that God wants you to have. Because it is nothing less than sensational. Okay. Here's wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast. Okay. Now, what you're going to understand is that in um, the, um, I believe it's the 17th chapter here. Let's see. Yeah. Um, verse 17, chapter verse 15. And he saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest, where the whore sitteth, are the peoples, multitudes, and nations, and tongues. Now, we've got some things that seem to be compromised as to interpretation. They really aren't. But when we look here, in verse 3 of the same 17th chapter, he carried me away into the spirit, into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scholared, scholared, pardon me, upon a scarlet colored beast. Now, we got number one, the woman sitting upon a beast. Now, what is she sitting upon? In verse 15, it says, and he saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest where the horse sitteth are peoples, nations, people, multitudes, nations, tongues. So we've got the beast, her sitting on that, and we basically got her sitting on the waters. And <laughs> it, it, it's, it's just absolutely amazing that these things would seem to be not able to be compromised, uh, you know, and, and keep the truth. And there's truth to that. But that they would be so opposite sounding to each other. Because you've also got in here where this this woman is sitting on these Seven mountains, which some people say are the seven mountains of Rome. So, where is this woman sitting? The seven mountains of Rome? Sitting on the scarlet-colored beast? 
are sitting on the waters. Where is she sitting? Why is that important to know? It's very important. <laughs> very important. Okay, now I'm going to give this to you. God help you to get this. Now here it goes. If you don't understand that the interpretation of the of, of the waters and the and, and the beast, because he comes out of the out of the waters, that's where he comes from. That it represents nations, people, tongues, kingdoms, and all that. If you don't understand that, you can't get the message. You cannot. You do not know then or understand the interpretation of the number of the beast. The number of the beast is one, but only as it is represented pluralistically. It's a many one. And it represents, and these mountains and all of this, I wish I had more time, are all tied in to not, you know, the mountains these aren't the seven mountains of Rome. I know it's convenient. I know people have heard that all their life. And they got this thing against Rome. But one day I will do some teaching on all of that. In order to know the number of the beast, you've got to know this story of where the woman sits. And once you realize that this woman is sitting on this beast and this beast is representing the nations and the kingdoms of the world, that she, who is the queen of Babylon, has control and power over and is one of the great and powerful monetary systems of the world, And so powerful that she's even an envy of the beast upon which she sits. Which is the collective organizations of these people that come out of the, the waters and which are foundational for her to sit on. And they all represent powerful entities, mountains. So then once you know that, that the beast is a plural, then that affects the meaning of the man. The man is not just a singular, a man. But then you start coming into several scriptures in the Bible, which I guess I'm not going to have the time to share with you, but many of these scriptures in the Bible that used, there are several in which the, the word man is used and it means like mankind. And it doesn't just mean a singular man. 
but it's plural because now it's been modified by the context. Because the number of the beast is the number of the man. So now when we begin to see the revelation of the number of the of the beast being the number of the man or the, the number of the multitudes of humankind, now we begin to see that the 666 represents the 666 billion ophanims who were part of the one-third of the angels who fell that did not want to take human bodies because they were afraid of losing their memory and were at first convinced by Lucifer Satan that there was another way around that. And so these Ziths with the fringes are all about the message of salvation to those 666 billion which represent a part of the major part, in fact, almost a two-thirds part of those one-third part of the stars that were cast down by the, the dragon to the earth. You have to listen to that more than once to get that. And that's why it's such an important message. And that's what the, the, the Bible says, that the angels are flying through the skies preaching the everlasting gospel. That's what that's about. And they're able to send messages to people and dreams to people like they did with Solomon, where God appears to Solomon in a dream. That was from the heavens above. That was a, that was a, a flying scroll, a, a flying whirlwind, rolling and churning and coming into his mind. Well, it's so exciting. And when we look at all of the evidence, like for instance in Ecclesiastes 3.18, one of the things that Solomon wrote, he says, I said in my heart concerning the estate of the sons of men, that God might manifest them, that they might see that they themselves are beasts. Here was a prayer by Solomon, who is reputed to be one of the wisest men that ever lived, about the count of the beast. Let him that has wisdom count the number of the beast. He says, I said in my heart concerning the estate of the sons of men, that God might manifest manifest, bring to light them and that they might see that they themselves are beasts. They're part of the beast. It's, it's a mini one. It's a plural one. And when we're putting this number 666 together, we're not using the gematria, which is a count value of the letters of the words of Hebrew or of Greek. We're using an actual count. Like we're taking 
the number 613, which represents the ten major commandments, and 603 statutory commandments, equaling 613. And then we're taking the actual coils, and, and, and there's such a beauty in this. I, you know, I was hoping I was going to get into that today, but it looks like I won't. But how the, that, that, that blue thread is wound around each of the four corners are called quarters of each one of the of the the fringes this is this is that are zitzits that represent the fringes until there are 39 coils wrapped around each one of these that are part of the fringe so you take the 613 commandments plus the 600, or pardon me, the 613 commandments plus the 39 coils of the fringes, of the wrappings. And that gives you 652. Then you take white, because white is sometimes used um, in place of the blue, because they've lost the secret like they lost the, the secret name of, of God. They've only got the Tetrachromaton, the four letters. But the white has all seven colors in it, which includes the blue. So that's seven colors of the white. You add that 7 to the 652. And then you add the 7 mystery points that have to do with the one-third and the two-thirds of the stars, which I shared with you with that with you last week. We're going to go over that again next week. And you end up with 666. This is not... Geometria. This is actual count. And so it's actually the number of the beast, which comes first before the number of the man, because you can't understand the number of the man as it is represented. And not much different than when you have an, a king who represents all, all the people of the nation, or a president who represents all the people of the nation, or a premier which represents all the people of his nation of one maybe province or of the whole country. And so that revelation is flying through the skies. And people, when they hear their num that number, oh my God, and they don't understand the revelation that there was 666 talents of gold that came to, to Solomon in one year. And that was tied in to when the queen of Sheba came. And they don't understand how that in Isaiah it says, the day will come that a human will be 
more valued than valued. It'd be so incredibly valued of of gold. It's, that's how valuable a human would be. So we see the relationship between gold and humans. And we got six hundred and sixty-six talents. Jesus talks about the talents being taken from one to another, uh, tied in with the human revelation. And that revelation there to, to, to Solomon ties in to the 666 talents of gold, to the number 666 of the beast, which is the revelation of the number of the man or mankind, and its rulers, as described in Ephesians 6, in which you look up the word ruler, you get the name Cosmocrator, a world ruler. And this is this evil force, this evil person with all these laminations making up this unusual body that he will take. Ah, uh, there is so much that I have not been able to get into. How important it is to be able to go over this thing about the third part mystery of the stars and to really show its full meaning. Like these revelations I said about the term man and how that that has been modified, you know? We've got scriptures that are very interesting. And you need to know these, if you can, by heart. In Hebrews 2.6 it says, What is man that thou art so interested in him? Does that mean, what is a man? No, it's talking about the whole, whole race of mankind. But it says, what is man? So the word man can represent the whole multiplicity of the human kinds. And there are other scriptures like that. Where it's not modified by having a the man or any man or a man in front of it term wow in Revelation 7 9 it talks about a multitude no man could number well that's what you've got the reason they can't number it is because they don't know the revelation not because they can't add it up But it's more like Revelations 19.12, a name written that no man knew. And it's always understanding how this thing waffles back and forth between man and angel. Like in Revelations 21.17, according to the measure of a man, that is of an angel. Wow. Well, 
we're going to call it a break. Ask my wife to come, but before she starts playing, I want to tell you something. I want to tell you that we're going to continue with the live broadcast through the end of this year. And then for about three months, we're going to uh, go to uh, pre-recorded broadcasts that have already been played so that I can take off about three months to totally concentrate on getting some of these books published. Star Rise, the Book of Revelation, and hopefully also the Peace Manifest Bible. And I would like to say to you, and I, I'm always so slow to mention anything that has to do with money and finances. I know there are some of you that are already giving and, you know, I'm, I'm not in any way hinting for any of you to do more. But there are many others that, that don't give and that don't help financially. Even small amounts can be additive to, to success. But between now and and the first of the year, you know, I'm going to have expenses because uh, you know, I have to I have to hire a scribe to help me that's worked with me on this, and and there's there's a, there's a, quite a bit of expenses that it's going to take. It's not simple, Simon. I can't do this all by myself. It's just too too, too huge. I have to have people looking up. You know, I have to have them going back through through uh, some of the tapes, going back through some of the some of the uh, uh, the teachings to find uh, uh, you know uh, quotes that I will need to to put in for verification. I can't just keep that all in my brain, although I've got a lot in it up from it. And so, between now and and the first of January, if people could save or make some um, put 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 outs of reasonable sums of money to help toward those January, February, March, because I'm going to just totally concentrate on that. I'm going to back away from doing the broadcast. I'm going to probably back away from my doing, uh, uh, you know, some writing every day in the Facebook, uh, a lot of other things that I do that I'm going to back away from and put that time that I have, have and that energy and put that into getting these books actually done and out so you can have them. Because I tell you, there's nothing like them in the world. And they are so sensational. Like when I'm doing these teachings, I can only do parts. I can't explain all the intricacies because, you know, it's just too much. It takes a book to do that. And I need help. I need help to get this out. I can't do it alone. Next March, I'll be 76. I'm healthy enough to do this, but I have to take and concentrate my time. I need your prayers. I need your prayers. God bless you. We love you. And I hope mentioning this didn't put any damper on it. I thank God for those who have helped. Uh, you know, all their money has never, ever been wasted. It's always gone toward, toward, toward uh, doing a lot of the work that we have already done but it's just so huge, so massive. God bless you.
It is the time to tell you goodbye as Janet Lee begins to, to play the organ. Thank you.